I'm really nervous today. I don't know. <laughs> Not nervous because I know you all love me and we're talking a great about um, hope, which is a great subject. But I don't know. Sometimes you get this um, holy anticipation, I guess. And we've come into an awesome God. We've come to worship a God who's beyond our imagination and can do more than we can ask or imagine. And for me, that's just an, an awesome place to be. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember you before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance inspired by hope. This week we're going to be talking about a hope-filled heart. What does it mean to have a hope-filled heart? When you came in here this morning, what were you hoping for? The definition in the dictionary of hope is defined as a feeling of expectation, a desire for a particular thing to happen. My son has just recently sat his exams, and I'm sure others have just sat exams as well. And they're all hoping for um, good grades. However, when I spoke to my son, he said he took um, his English literature exam and he decided to do a question on Romeo and Juliet. Not that he'd studied it for the past two years at all, but because he couldn't do the other one, he he decided he'd do this one. And so we can only hope and see how he gets on. (laughs) But given his due, he didn't sit there and panic. He made the best of a tricky situation. But is this the real hope that fills our hearts? Is this the hope that filled Jesus' heart? Instead of wishful thinking or hoping for something to happen, a believer knows that their true hope is concrete, sure, and built on the word of God. Because we know God cannot lie. A Christian builds his life and his hope on the truth and the promise of God's word, which doesn't change from the beginning of time to the end of time. And if Jesus were to stand here in front of you as he did the blind man and said, what do you want me to do for you? What are you hoping for? What would you say to him? The blind man said, I want to see, I want to see. And that was, to me, for many years, just an obvious answer, isn't it? If you're blind and Jesus comes along, you want to see. And I always thought it was perhaps wishful thinking on behalf of the blind man. He hadn't anything to lose, he'd been blind for such a long time. And all of the other times that Jesus met with people, were they wishful thinking Or were they requests built on God's hope, built on the truth of God's word? When you look at the Old Testament, Isaiah 42, verse 7 says, This is what God the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, 
have called you righteous. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people, a light for Gentiles, to open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. That blind man knew that the request that he was asking was built on God's word. He may not have been able to read it himself, but he heard it many times in the synagogue. And I guess we're all comfortable with Jesus being the light of the world, the light to the Gentiles. But I guess we struggle with the fact that he came to heal. He came to set those in darkness free. Because we don't really fully understand how that is going to happen. And so this blind man asked Jesus for his sight because he knew the true Messiah could restore his sight. He had hope in God's word and the truth that remained within it. But if I'm honest this morning, if Jesus stood in front of me and stood in front of us and said, what do you really want me to do for you? What are you hoping for? I'm not sure I could give an answer. Life sometimes has a way of crushing your hopes and dreams. In difficult times, you begin to question God's word. Can it really be true? But the truth of God's word, the promises are as true yesterday as they are today. We just need to grow in our hope and grow in our faith and believe in what it says. Just because we can't understand something doesn't mean that we should stop hoping for it. And Proverbs 13 verse 12 shares something of the struggle that we face. It says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is the tree of life. It seems as soon as we start to make some headway in life, as soon as we start to dream for something new, something comes along, challenges come along. People take our hopes and dreams from us, whether they realise it or not. And sometimes it's those that are closest to you that often inflict the deepest wounds, which is why we need to continually forgive. The message uh, version of Romans 4.18 says it something like this. When everything was hopeless, Abraham believed anyway, deciding not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made the father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Abraham hoped against hope that his life would change, that God would do immeasurably more than he could ask or imagine. But it does take constant steps of faith and hope in the God that loves us. There is something within each one of us that hopes for something better in life, something more fulfilling, something inside of each one of us that won't accept the status quo and says enough is enough. Things must change. 
And by God's grace, power and faithfulness, things can change. After suffering several burns on his legs at the age of five, Glenn Cunningham was given up by the doctors who believed he would spend the rest of his life in a wheelchair. Doctors examined his legs, but there was no way of looking into Glenn Cunningham's heart. He didn't listen to the doctors and set out to walk again. Lying in a bed, Glenn vowed, next week, I am going to get out of bed. I, I am going to walk. And he did just that. His mother tells how she used to look out of the window and watch Glenn reach up and take hold of an old plough in the yard. With a hand on each handle, he began to make his gnarled and twisted legs function. And with every step, a step of pain. He came closer to walking. Soon he began to trot. Before long, he was running. I always believed I would walk, and I did. Now I'm going to run faster than anyone has ever run. And did he ever? He became a great miler who in 1934 set the world record of four minutes and six seconds. He was honoured as an outstanding athlete of the century in Madison Square Gardens. And we have a greater hope than Glenn Aberhead. Are we willing to run the race with perseverance? We know from scriptures the Christian walk isn't going to be easy. Abraham and Sarah remained childless for many years. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years for doing what he thought was right. Paul was shipwrecked, whipped, imprisoned for the hope that he had in Jesus. It sounds great, this Christian life, doesn't it? (laughs) But all these people had one thing in common. They hoped for something better. However small that hope appeared... They hoped that God could change their lives. And God's word says that we're not to be tested, or we won't be tested beyond what we can bear. And that God will provide a way out for each one of us if we allow ourselves to rest in the peace that God gives us in those difficult times, if we trust in the hope of God's unfailing love. The hope that one day things will come together for the good of those that love him. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. As we read God's word, we can rejoice in the promises for it today and for the future. But tribulation or a hope deferred can last a long time. It can affect us in so many ways. We can lose something of our faith. We can appear to be good Christians on the outside. But inside, we have lost faith in God's goodness and provision. Having a form of godliness, but lacking its power. Well, Zacharias, when he was told his wife Elizabeth was to have a baby, his hope had been deferred so long 
that even the visitation of an angel couldn't change his mindset. He couldn't believe the promise that God had given him. We can also lose courage. The loss of hope distorts our vision. We see the problems of life through our own eyes, our own filters rather than God's. Elijah had to ask God to open the eyes of his servant to see the legions of angels fighting for them at Dothan before his servant ever had peace. And perhaps we need God to open our eyes or open our hearts to break the strongholds of fear in our lives. Be it over money, perfection, whatever it is in your life that holds you back. Maybe we need our eyes opened by God and our hope restored in those difficult situations that we face. But in oft- oftentimes, we can also lose our connection with God. We return to the things that are familiar rather than following God's ways. The disciples go back to fishing, running from what they could not understand and returning to what they could because of the emotional trauma they faced that Easter week. And what could go wrong with going back to fishing? Well, once Jesus had called them, he wasn't going to let them go. And he even gave them back hope in fishing, teaching them again how to fish on the proper side of the boat. There is always hope in God. God took Gideon from hiding in a wine press, defeated and afraid, to defeating a huge army with just 300 men. But it was in God's timing and in God's ways. But as we walk with Christ, for whatever reason, God sometimes takes us on the scenic route of life, takes us on a journey that perhaps we don't want to go on. But don't lose hope. God is always with us as we've sung already. Take Moses, for example. Moses was a baby, or abandoned as a baby. Found by a princess, blessed with everything that Egypt could offer him, until he throws it all away in a moment of madness. Standing up for his people, thinking what he had done was right. Moses has to flee, is in exile for 40 years. Would your hope have died after 40 years on the Mount of Horeb? Horeb literally means a place of desolation, a waste place, a barrenness, a dryness, a place of mess and rubbish. We may start at Horeb today or find ourselves there one day in the future. But if you go back to read God's word, by the time Exodus 3 verse 1 comes, this place of barrenness, this place of desolation is called the mountain of the Lord. God met with Moses in a burning bush, the place where he felt most alone. God says to each one of us, I have plans for you to give you hope and a future. But the reality is sometimes God guides us through the pain of life to make us into the people that he wants us to be to release the true hope and the potential that he sees in each of us. We sometimes need a few rough 
edges knocked off of us. Or perhaps we need a complete DIY SOS rebuild where everything has to get knocked down before we can hear God's true voice in our lives. But his promises are still true in the good times and in the struggles. And perseverance is the key to regaining hope. God can take us from desolation to restoration to reinstatement. But Galatians 6 verse 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And all I've shared so far is one view, or a couple of views on hope. Life is tough, but hope springs eternal. But I still wonder whether what I shared, or what I have shared, is the true hope that filled Jesus' heart. Bill Hybel says, the hope of the world is the local church. And it's still God's hope, the local church, to see the saved lost, to see the broken restored. We're going to watch a testimony because we don't know what seeds of hope are planted by all the work that we do. From crash to the spot team to worship, whatever it is, watch this video and see it through the eyes of your own ministry, your own hopes and dreams. It is a Christians Against Poverty video, um, but for me, see it through your own eyes and listen to the message behind her testimony. Before life skills, I was sort of on a, on a road to nowhere. I didn't really have a purpose. I sort of hit a brick wall, it felt like, and I was just standing there and I didn't know where to go. There was literally nowhere to go. It was just a brick wall. And um, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like a failure in life. I've suffered with obsessive compulsive disorder from the age of about nine. Um, it was so... It was so bad when I was a kid, cause, um, just cause there was certain things in my life that I couldn't control. Yeah, I'd seen some really crazy stuff growing up as a, as a kid, just being in that sort of, um, environment, like just CID, just raiding the house and like, it's quite, there's actually, there's books about it, it's crazy. So just going through things like that and you're a kid, it's sort of like an un- uncontrollable situation. So when I did go out, I'd go out with my friends and I'd end up drinking, like, so much. Taking cocaine, smoking um, marijuana. You would not want to speak to me. I was so angry and I would, like... I'd been arrested for fighting and all kinds of things throughout my life. So when I was first invited to Life Skills Group by my mother, she'd invite... I was like, oh, what? Another churchy thing? Go away, Mum. No. And Mum was praying for months for me to come. And then one day I was like, oh, all right, I'll come. Just so you stop asking me. Like, so I just went in there with no expectations or anything. And then... It just made me realise how important I am to God. And I said the sinner's prayer and I gave my life to Christ and I started to walk with Jesus. And it was like immediately, all my anxiety went. It was supernatural. It was so 
crazy. I've been through CBT. I've been multi. I've been through so every single type of psychiatry, like of anything you could think of, counselling and all that stuff that there is. And none of it had ever helped, really. And then I said that prayer, and it was just all taken away. And it felt like he took all that hurt out of my heart and literally just replaced it with his love. The sessions at CAP are brilliant. It helped with budgeting because we kept a, a diary of how much we were spending weekly and it made me realise all the money I was actually wasting on things that I did, ended up either throwing away or not using. Eating on a budget, using things you wouldn't usually use, making it go a lot further, stretching certain foods that you wouldn't realise that you could make. Like, for example, mints. You, do you know how many meals you can make out of a bit of mints? It's just <laughs> unreal. You wouldn't know. But until you come cap. They helped me to understand forgiveness to a, a level of where I could actually forgive people that I didn't even realise I needed to forgive. And I just forgive everyone of all of them things and sort of forgive myself in the process. I love it, and it's amazing what it does for people, just having that community and those people there just uh, that you won't usually speak to or even know. You meet people and you learn things from them that you would never usually know or people you would never speak to usually. And it does, it makes a real, it just made a real big difference in my life. Yeah, give me some purpose. Everyone's like, wow, Alice, like, what's happened to you? Like, you are so different. And I was like, you know, when you first give your life, you're like, it's Jesus! It's Jesus, that's what's happened to me. So I was just praising him, and through that, I got baptised, and everyone see that, and they was like, I want some of that. So everyone invited Jesus into their life, my whole family come church. That's my great, my grandmother, mama, my mother, me, and my daughter. So that's four generations saved through CAP through life skills. So yeah, it's amazing. My daughter, since going to church and doing Sunday school, has given her that really solid foundation that um, you could only get by go by knowing God and Jesus. That's the only way you can get it. And she's actually turned into a little evangelizer herself. So yeah, she's sort of telling all the kids in her in her class like how much Jesus loves them and stuff and it's just amazing. From coming from a six-year-old, it's just amazing. She said, Mum, I know I've got Daddy, and I love Daddy, but I've also got God, and he's my heavenly father, and he's the best daddy ever. Yeah. Oh, don't. <laughs> Since going to CAP Life Skills and giving my life to Christ, it's completely changed my life in every single area for the better. And I've trained to be a life skills coach myself so I can help many more people. Yeah, for the glory of God. That's all it's about. Amen. <laughs> Isn't that a true hopeful heart? That whatever we're involved in, whatever we do, someone could be standing up here sharing their testimony. 
however we are in life, someone might be saying, I want some of that. And that's the hope that we have in our loving Heavenly Father. It says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. God does answer our prayers. We need to pray for the lost and have the same hope that Jesus had when he went to the cross because he saw each one of us give our lives to follow him. And we should have that same hope for each one of us, our families and our friends, to see God move again in this nation. Amen.